You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Rick and Sean, who is sexy and Irish. Still. Wait, which one's sexy and which one's Irish? That's for you to decide. So on this episode, we are going to discuss social stretch goals. I find that social stretch goals are done wrong more than they're done right. I don't know why people do the things they do sometimes. Before we dive in, we should probably define social stretch goals. What are social stretch goals? I was about to ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> now you have to do the talking. Yeah. Uh. So social stretch goal is much like a regular stretch goal, but nothing like it. It's a community achievement that is not connected to some type of financial thing. So they can range from a hundred likes on my Facebook page to take a picture of yourself holding a cat. (laughs) They they get a bit wild. And that tattoo of my logo on your butt. Yes. Um, So the idea is that as people engage in these social stretch goals, it organically markets your game hashtags can accompany them gets people talking about your game and then it engages your community so the the hope is that by having an engaged community who's having fun with this kickstarter that they will back and tell their friends and that's sort of the the aim of these social stretch goals yeah social stretch goals are a lot like regular stretch goals the idea is that you get a tangible physical reward for doing something social And I I did these on my deliverance campaign and I found great success with them. I have seen some companies like Elon Lee and the Exploding Kittens company, they just do a fantastic, kind of a ridiculous job with this. Uh, Stretch goals in general are as you make more money on a project, you add more stuff because, you know, now it's, you know, with, with board games, it's a normal thing now. Backers generally expect stretch goals or if you don't have stretch goals they expect that you'll address why not and so it's it's become a very normal thing so if you you know get past your funding goal they expect that you're going to add more content to your game if you raise enough money because economies of scale make it so that you know you make a lot more money or rather maybe your product costs a little less and so they want you to fill the gap with more content and or at least part of that gap with more content so that they get more stuff for supporting you. And that's one of the major reasons I think that people, uh, myself included, back projects on Kickstarter is because we get more stuff when we back projects on Kickstarter. If I were to go buy a project at a, a friendly local game store, which I've done many times, I get the game as it is. But when I back a project on Kickstarter or GameFound, I stand to potentially gain more than it is just because of my support and the support of all of the other people involved. So these things kind of lend themselves really naturally to the social aspect. I mean, social stretch goals are just very prominent now. And I see a lot of people attempting them, but I see a lot of the time things are just, they go wrong, you know? I mean, we could get into why, but... I don't know if you guys have any comments on the things I've said. Social stretch goal. Send a hate mail to blah, blah, blah dot com. No. <laughs> um, so for those who may not uh, be uh, as knowledgeable in this area, are social stretch goals also advertised in your stretch goal campaign? Or is it just stuff that you post on your social accounts and then reward afterwards? Or how, how does this work? Imagine like, you know, if you're playing a video game and you have your character screen You've got your uh, your equipment panel on the left-hand side and then your stats and your experience levels on the right-hand side. The social stretch goals would kind of be like uh, that experience screen on, you know, in a video game where they, you know, you, you have a certain amount of experience and you level up and you, you get something, right? And you might level up a skill, you might level up a, you know, your actual character to another level or whatever, right? Well... Social stretch goals, you, you in general, it takes they take a number of forms, but you put a panel of information right on your Kickstarter page or GameFound page, and that contains a progress bar of how many people have done 
whatever social stretch goal it is. You, you generally need to explain how to accomplish each social stretch goal. You need to define what each social stretch goal is, how it's, how it's earned and so on. And then of course, as I mentioned before, you need to have a way to track its progress. So one of the most common social stretch goals is if we get 500 shares or 100 or whatever number of shares on this particular Facebook post, then we unlock a, a physical reward. You know, usually it's something small, like we'll unlock two cards uh, or, you know, each character gets one additional ability or, you know, that kind of thing. And... Uh, so that's actually displayed on the physical page. The stretch goals kind of serve like a call to action to get people that are interested in your Kickstarter to and and want to see it grow and increase. And you know, if if it does, everybody gets more stuff, right? Every, if it raises more money, everybody gets more for the same price. And so, the, what social stretch goals try to do is they try to incentivize people to do the desirable actions that will make that happen. Sharing, for example, that Facebook post that says our Kickstarter is live now, you know, back now, here are the diesels about our campaign. You can get people to share things like that with their social circles, with groups they're a part of, and you can inspire conversations that may not have happened otherwise, you know, and that's really, it's meant to mobilize your fans. So in general, you may post about them elsewhere, but the the central panel you know that has all of the information is going to be located right on your kickstarter page probably below like right below the stretch the regular stretch goal section something like that so this sounds like something that kickstarter can't keep track of itself and that you have to manually update how often should you update it like update your page with the results in general i'd say um each day is probably a good idea if you were to, you know, like for myself, I had, uh, you know, we have, we need this many fans on board game geek. Right. And so I think the first number was like 200 or 250. And, uh, we had, you know, as, as we would advance, I would update that graphic. It was, uh, something that my graphic artist, uh, kind of set me up for success so that I could, um, you know, show an experience bar that increases, but, one of the one of the things that makes it a little bit easier, I think, you know, for for my deliverance campaign, I ended up updating them like every few days, because I, I think this is one of the things that probably is like a small tip that will help people with social stretch goals. Instead of trying to, because it's just another thing to do. It's another thing that you have to update. Another thing that you have to keep track of when you're during your, you know, in your live Kickstarter campaign. Make it so that the the chart starts at zero and then has it doesn't have like a uh we'll say it doesn't have a graph of numbers all along the bottom but it starts at zero and goes to the 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 end amount uh you know 250 and maybe that that whole space the width of that bar the experience bar is like two inches i mean you can put your your social stretch goal marker you know you can fill up like an inch or half of that bar and you're you're not you're probably not going to need to change it um, if you gain another 20 followers or whatever. So as long as it looks like there's progress being made, I think that's really the, the important thing. You want to make sure that people, that it looks like there's activity and excitement happening and that sort of thing. You know, social stretch goals really combat the, you know, the mid campaign slump where everybody kind of loses interest when your campaign starts to dip or rather increases quite slowly Maybe it takes four or five days to, you know, to reach that next stretch goal. You can keep people excited with social stretch goals and kind of keep them coming back. And it's like, oh yeah, all we need to do is just share this every day. You know, if we get number one ranked on KickTrack, then we'll unlock a thing and uh, that that sort of thing. You probably should go over some cautionary things with stretch goals because there's the danger where they can be used to spam. You know, you can, you can kind of mobilize your following to bam and, and annoy people, which will have the opposite effect of what you're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. So there, there's some caution. I probably wouldn't yep. recommend any, any ones that like share this and until we get so many shares, I, I think mm-hmm. it'd be better to do ones which are more interactive, where it's like, take a picture of something funny that you're doing. That's thematically relevant to this game and hashtag it. And that way we will 
the, the funniest one will pick a winner or something like that at, 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 at this time date. I think things like that might be more effective than trying to just get like numbers on a screen, try to create experiences for people. Yeah, I think I think there's that that is a, a really good point. And I'll say I had several social stretch goals for deliverance. Uh, one of them was, you know, as if I have a post on Twitter and a post on Facebook on my Facebook page so that it can be shareable. And if we get a total of, I think it was like 500 shares on that, then we'll unlock one additional prayer card or something. Uh, you know, we had, we had like four benchmarks or three benchmarks where it was like, we'll unlock one prayer card if we get 250, another prayer card if we get 400, and then we'll unlock two prayer cards if we get to a total of 500 combined shares between Facebook and Twitter. And we got, you know, we got there. It was one of the, I mean, it was actually ended up being like one of the last ones that we got. And I'll say that I, I personally think that it's worth, I mean, that's, that one's like on the fringe for me. You know, I, I, I would do it again because we got 500 shares. I I'll say, I'm not sure. It's so hard to measure how, how tangibly effective that was in the total backer count and everything like that. And I'm, I'm, you know, just in, in some ways ignorantly would lean toward doing it again because, you know, we had a, a good campaign and it was very well uh, funded and, you know, lots of backers and so on. But, you know, I can't really track to see how useful it is. But I will say that if that share is the very first time someone was exposed to your project, it's probably not going to result in a backer. I think that that you know that share that someone would do in order to reach the social stretch goal it's more of like a branding campaign where hopefully they've seen your stuff already like five or six times and then that's the seventh time that they that they see your stuff and that's just the medium that happens to finally draw them in you know the the, the last click responsible for for them backing your game or something like that but it is something that i I do understand why some people don't go that route. It is the first place people go. Social stretch goals, I want you to share on social media, right? But I, I'm not totally convinced of its effectiveness. Seems like a little bit like shilling, like you're shilling snake oil or something, you know? Yeah, this is like thematically appropriate. Like your game's about annoying people. <laughs> share this content, annoy as many people as you can. That'd be a fun stretch goal. <laughs> Yeah, screenshot the worst, uh, the worst responses, worst comments. Um, yeah, yeah. You did not hear this advice from this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely cutting this. I yeah, keep certain. it in. We're, we're all about spamming everybody. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, that's edgy. right. See, it's it's Black hat SEO. What, one thing I'd like to talk about is like community memes because I know one thing with your campaign, Andrew, is that community eventually builds up and there's kind of like this internal lingo. And I know one thing that happens with deliverage which is sort of amusing and you kind of you can leverage this with your marketing is the number 666 right in the bible mm -hmm. it's the mark of the beast so there's a negative connotation with that number so whenever something's about to approach 666 it's like oh quickly share it make sure that it you know you exceed yeah. 666 Get it to 667 yeah that's quickly really quickly funny. and it's a, in a way that's a social stress call in a sense because but it's like a community meme which you can leverage over a lot of different things which is, is just a fun way to kind of promote the game yeah, I think that that's really in the end what it's all about is kind of having fun with your community. I think that sometimes creators, they start to think of their community as a, as an other or as separate from them, where I think the right mindset is to consider every single one of your backers as though they are uh, with you on this journey and they're fellow gamers, you know, like you might be slightly more famous than them on this one single page on Kickstarter, but I think that you are, you know, they're, they're, you're equal. They, they're a huge board game fan or whatever, just like you. And so I think that, you know, celebrating with them, having fun with them and just having a good time together is, you know, really what it's all about. And that, that idea, it's, it's hilarious. We do that all the time with deliverance. And I think that lots of other people do it as well, because it's a very, kind of socially mainstream thing you know it's like oh no 666 is bad people get it you don't have to explain it and that's the right so and i i find it hilarious where you know it it has actually caused people to jump off the fence and <laughs> back the game immediately or you know uh share twice more or something just in order to 
break that threshold. Every single time that we ended up being at that point where it was like 664 comments or something like that, it's like, oh no, you know, we're, we're almost there. It's like, we need to make a bunch of comments and then people do. And I think that that's a really, that's actually a really fun insight. Another one you have is not today, Satan. Something negative, and then you'd overcome that negative thing, and then it'd be like, not today, Satan, which is amusing as well, which you can, yeah. basically that meme culture, you can sort of, once your community sort of de is developed, you can use those things to actually promote your game socially. Yeah. It's my, it was my, it was like the, I think the funniest thing was that not today, Satan meme, just uh, it's to the most mundane things, you know, it's like, <laughs> oh, we're about to run out of our last social stretch goal. Not today, Satan. And then, you know, new examples or whatever. But yeah. it's, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. The more, you know, games draw on what is understood. In fact, one of the reasons that Deliverance used angels that look kind of like people instead of, you know, godlike Tyriel, you know, from Diablo or, or whatever was specifically to be relatable. And so I think a lot of the, or to be, you know, understood, you know, that there's actually no evidence in the bible of angels that have two wings that's just pop culture <gasps> say what no <laughs> yeah they either have no wings and are men or now you're gonna uh, tell me are... the devil doesn't have horns i know or a tail or a pitchfork <laughs> and uh he's not red wait wait, um, wait wait what about the halo that's uh i think that's also culturally made up it's not a thing comes from medieval like art i think yeah i feel like everything's a story tale yeah, but you know, there is something to be said for leveraging the things that people understand. So we use halos in Deliverance. They're kind of combined with crowns. They're like floating crowns. So the angels have these floating crowns, whereas like the demon princes have crowns that don't float. They just sit right on top of their head, you know? Oh, no way. I never, never noticed that. Yeah. That's cool. It's, that's cool Easter yep. egg. That's the deep Easter egg. Oh, that's so, the deep Easter Yeah. Is there any campaigns that have really stood out to you that, that stretch gold really well? Maybe we could point some of our listeners in that direction. I know Frosthaven did stretch goals. I think they did. As far as I remember, they did something interesting with stretch goals, but it's not coming to my memory. So I don't know if you have any any campaigns that come to mind that, yeah, they did stretch goals really well. And that's one you should probably imitate. Well, you know, the, the thing I remember most actually about Isaac Childers and the campaigns that he does, uh, uh, Gloomhaven, Frosthaven, you know, Cephalofair Games is his company's name. They are pretty... I guess one of the one of the shining examples of a company that does not use stretch goals in their products. They build a game and they make it as much as it, you know, as as awesome as it can possibly be in the box. And they say this is going to be one hundred and fifty dollars or one sixty in the case of Frosthaven, and uh, that is actually going to retail for something like two hundred and fifty dollars or something like that. It's crazy. They do have social things that they do, and just off the top of my head, one of the things that I enjoyed the most was were puzzles so they did like a a puzzle uh it's like they updated every day and they had a puzzle every day it was like you know you had your a character you know everyone has or many people have gloomhaven at this point and it's like the gloomhaven second edition printing so they'll they'll do a puzzle for how to you know you have to survive four rounds and here are the bad guys and here's your character and here's what's in your hand how will you survive for four rounds? And then the next day, they'll reveal the solution to that puzzle. And I, I followed Frosthaven really closely, but it for whatever reason, it skips. I, I can't remember if that actually, if they did that during Frosthaven or not. But I thought that was actually a really cool way to keep people engaged. And again, social stretch goals, bottom line, it's all about trying to keep people engaged. And just so to uh, slap up Wordle on your, yeah. on your Kickstarter page. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. So, you know, one company that does this really well is the Exploding Kittens Company, you know, Elon Lee and the Exploding Kittens Company. They do all sorts of silly things. And they've had a number of different projects on Kickstarter. Uh, most recently, a game called Hand to Hand Wombat was, I think it was funded maybe a month ago or so. So what they try to do is they try to get people really super involved in the actual fun. They have a really fun game and they have a lot of fun on their Kickstarter page. They just do a lot of silly things. Like they gave away a bunch of stupid stuff, like a butt vase and, uh, you know, that mixed in with really cool stuff, like $500 worth of games. And it's just a really 
strange combination of things. But one of the things that they try to do is they try to encourage people to quote unquote, be awesome. It's probably my favorite word in the English language. Awesome. I say it all the time. They get people to do things and, you know, share in on their social media. So uh, they have this list right now on their hand to hand wombat Kickstarter page, you know, people that uh, drew a cheerful picture, fed your pet something fancy, made someone laugh, had a meal with someone, made a grateful list, drew your pet, etc. And they have a bunch of uh, stories or something going on in their in their updates and on their social on various social media. So yeah, obviously I have to have a way to track what these are that that sort of thing. Yeah. If you can gamify your stretch goal, I think you're really going to see a lot more success. And I think if you can create a faction within your community, like kind of split people down the middle, do you support this or that? I think the one thing that stands in my mind as a real, really great, I suppose, stretch goal was actually the game Team Fortress 2 back in 2000, I'm going to show my age, back in 2009, they had this update called War. It's called the War Update. And in the game, there's these different mercenaries and, you know, they fight each other, but they, they, they pitted these two mercenaries against each other, the demo man and the soldier. And basically when anyone in the game, a soldier killed the demo man or a demo man killed the sol soldier, there was a little ticker. And at the end of like a certain uh, span of time, whoever had the most kills would get extra items for that, for that mercenary, which would be in the game forever. So in a sense, that's like a social stretch goal within the community. You're kind of get, get engaging people to do something within the game and creating these factions. It's not it's all in good humor. But then there's actually a reward for the certain faction that, that wins. So that might be something that you might want to experiment with. But I think if you can gamify whatever you're doing, I think it's going to leave a lasting imprint on people's minds. Because look, I still remember that that update and that's in 2009. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's actually, that's what Frosthaven did. They had three factions and they're like, you know, the winning faction is basically they, they said, you know, the winning faction is the one that has the most engagement, excitement. And, you know, basically you can do things that will earn points for your faction, for your favorite faction. Uh, but I, you know, as Isaac said, he'll kind of tally it up based on what he thinks everything's worth. And then he'll give you an update on stuff. It's not like, oh, you get 10 points for this and 20 points for that. And actually doing math, it's like some equation in my head's happening. And uh, the more cool stuff you do for each faction, the better. So that was that was pretty fun. And then in the end, the the winning faction gets some tangible storyline that uh, the others won't just because it's the one that people cared most about at the end. I found the update to the hand-to-hand -hand wombat be awesome stretch goal stuff. Uh, so it's very social stretch goals. So they actually give you a list of actions and they say like, you know, 10 people need to do this. 25 people need to do that. You know, like a, a, an example is a hundred people need to call your mom and tell her you love her. And then, you know, simple, right? But kind of fun. And when you do these actions, this is what's important, in, which is written in this update. Uh, you need to include a sign of some sort within your photo or video that says awesome wombats so that you don't use old content or other people's or photoshopped content. And you have to post evidence of the action on the platform of your choice with a particular hashtag. And you have to tag them as well so they don't miss your entry. So they're they're tracking with a particular hashtag, which they used awesome wombats, which is not a common hashtag to use, you know, elsewhere. And I think that's kind of a key. If you want to track how many people are doing something for your social stretch goal, then you need to be able to boil it down to something as simple as, you know, however many people have used this hashtag in the last, you know, 30 days or something like that. That'll be really useful. So, yeah, so that's a place that people can go to kind of look. It's I believe it's update number three. But we'll include it in the show notes for, for everybody to kind of understand how, you know, this company does an excellent, uh, their, their social campaigns. I mean, they're honestly, all of them are worth looking at, even Exploding Kittens, which I think happened back in like 2012, very worthwhile. You know, one other thing that I found very successful for myself, and I, I think that this is something that would really carry on and, and, and help with the the long tail of deliverance. I, I it just kind of came from my, uh, my experience as a Kickstarter backer. I've, I've backed uh, probably too many projects. Don't, don't tell my wife how many I've backed. I don't actually know myself, but I know it's over a hundred and less than 5,000. The problem when you get a game in the mail from Kickstarter that you backed like two years ago is that you have to read the rule book 
and figure it out, like kind of bumble through uh, your first play and you're going to get things wrong. You're going to have to go to a forum or whatever and, and figure out like how you do a particular thing, or you're just going to have to read the rules a couple of times and then teach people how to play. And that's kind of a tall order all, all in all, you know, people have busy lives. They have, uh, for me, I have a bunch of kids. I've got a bunch of other commitments and reading a 50 page rule book and stumbling through a two hour game or three hour game, you know, I mean, terraforming Mars, I, I had that game on my shelf or actually castles of Burgundy. I had on my shelf of shame for five years, over five years, and finally took it off when Ryan Williams came to my house. He was like, Castles of Burgundy is my favorite game. And it's like, great, you can teach me the rules because I will never play this otherwise. Yeah. And I uh, just did not want to read the rule book. That's did how. Did you the dust will fit? Seriously. Actually, I pulled the shrink wrap off of it and okay. that took care of it. So, yeah. So it was, there, it was there the value of that game. Yeah. And, you know, it's not an extremely complicated game, you know, especially compared to what we have nowadays. It's rather simple, I'd say, you know, a gateway game. It was it was really fun. We really enjoyed it and, and everything. But it took Ryan coming over and oh, and saying, I know the rules to that. Let me teach you for for me to say, great. There are a lot of people that are much like that. They want to play the game but they don't want to learn the rules you know it's like a dog with a bone or a dog with a ball he wants you to throw the ball he just does not want you to take it i have a lot of board games i have not opened or used but i just wanted them yeah well (laughs) and that's that's really common i know that everybody listening to this podcast has at least one game in the shrink and if we're being honest a whole shelf at least so the way that i i actually worked my social stretch goals around that I felt like that, or I tried to combat that problem. And so I, I created a, a social stretch goal challenge that was, I want so many people to actually beat the game on various difficulty levels. So in, in deliverance, there are four difficulty levels. There's in essence, normal, which is kind of like easy. If you've never played the game before or whatever. Then there's heroic nightmare and abyssal difficulty. And they're, they get very hard, but if I had, I wanted 30 people to beat the game on heroic difficulty and 15 to beat it on nightmare. And I wanted seven to beat it on abyssal. And I thought these are realistic numbers. I didn't want to like fail at at any one of them. I didn't want nobody to beat abyssal. I wanted, you know, I wanted it to be realistic, but what I really enjoyed was how many of my, Oh, and, and there was a reward kind of a, a, um, a reward that if 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 thirty people beat it on heroic difficulty, you would actually unlock a darkness card. We, I would we would add another darkness card to the game, and you know same thing with nightmare and abyssal. We would unlock a total of four darkness cards, and uh, you know where we would add more content, and that's enough content that it's meaningful. Uh, but also, you know, the tabletop simulator mod is there, and it's just kind of fun to play, right? So we had a bunch of people teaching others to play the game because they wanted to accomplish that goal. So there were people that knew the game that were like anybody that wants to learn, I'm going to play a game tonight. If you want to play, it's, you know, um, we're on heroic or, you know, and then eventually it was, Hey, everybody who's, who's super experienced, we're going to go for an abyssal run tonight. And here's, you know, and you know, they would often fill the game. And what ended up happening was hundreds of people actually learned to play the game. It was really cool. I didn't have to do the work. And I, I personally feel like after reflection on my own campaign, we, we did a social stretch goal where it was like Facebook likes and shares. We did another one, which was related to the board game geek followers. And we did this one, which was related to the number of people who would beat the game on various difficulty levels. I feel on conclusion of my campaign, looking back at it um, almost a year ago now, the one that meant the most by far was the one that actually got people to play the game and to experience the game. It also resulted, I believe, in the highest number of backers by mm. far, because there were people that would tell me, you know, um, Deliverance is a, uh, we'll say, a religious themed game, and that can be kind of off putting for some people. And they, or, you know, even for, uh, religious people, it might be 
concerning. You know, it's like, well, what if it's, what if there's something wrong with it? You know, and the best way to kind of overcome all of those objections is to get people to try it and come up with their own conclusions. And that got a lot of people to play the game and download the mod and, and, and talk about the game. So I, I personally felt that was the greatest social stretch goal success that I have one of, one of the best case studies I can come up with because I had such firsthand experience with it. I do love to talk about deliverance, but that wasn't why I brought it up. (laughs) But let's talk about social stretch goals rewards. Um, We haven't really talked about those yet. When you make a stretch goal and you make the reward, is it something that's uh, greater than a normal stretch goal? Is it about the same type of reward level as a stretch goal? Or is it something smaller? And how do you how do you determine what kind of reward uh, you want to get out of that uh, social stretch goal? The first thing is stretch goals are a game um, on a number of levels. So what will happen is let's say you have a game with like you, you design the whole thing. Everything has like, you know, five or literally six characters, a hundred cards and, you know, whatever, 10 custom dice. Well, your, your stretch goals your your base game will say has four characters in it and only 75 cards and five custom dice and or maybe five regular dice and your your actual manufacturing quote was for six characters 100 cards and 10 custom dice right so and this is just kind of trying to be simple to you know so that people can kind of understand the point of what i'm saying is you start the game or you start the, say, the game of Kickstarter, you launch your Kickstarter campaign with enough value in the product that if that's all it funded, that you would be okay, right? You know, if if people would find enough value in four characters and 75 cards and whatever, it, and the actual price tag, maybe it's like a $29 game or something, then that's awesome. And then stretch goals are just kind of bringing the game to its, to, to its, final state, you know, but people feel like when you're in the midst of it, it's like, Hey, we unlocked new content that we wouldn't have had otherwise. So it really is a game you know, and manufacturing wise, it's not something that you're going to have to get a new quote or rather you shouldn't because, you know, in some cases, if you go from a hundred to, I mean, it's going to cost very similar amounts to get 75 poker sized cards versus a hundred. But if you go to like 110, it could cost you a lot more money because they might have to use additional sheets, you know, manufacturing wise. You know, the the, the actual ink on the on the sheet is not going to cost you very much, but the the paper, the material is kind of what costs in, in manufacturing. So the the idea behind stretch goals in general is that you actually have the full game designed and developed and manufactured, and you're going to give you know, hopefully you've done your homework before beforehand and figured out when at what dollar values are my am I going to reveal my stretch goals and and what you know what stretch goals happening at which dollar value. But uh, social stretch goals are the same way where you they could be the same. They should be worthwhile, meaning that you don't want to be like you know I'll high five my friend if you get a hundred board game geek likes or whatever you, they, they need to be like a tangible, I would say equivalent. So I, the way I considered it, this is actually recommended by a friend, uh, Kirk Dennison of peacekeeper games. Now he does, he's like one of the, the minds behind uh Thundergriff games. He recommended you should have like a small stretch goal, a medium sized stretch goal and a large size stretch goal. And the cadence of stretch goals in general should be like small, medium, small, large, small, medium, small, large, so that you're kind of balancing, you know, if you did all the cool stuff, like we have a new character, um, if you did like all your new characters up front and you're like, we have an extra card, you know, now we have two extra cards, you know, it's like. You should just loot box it, you just like randomly generate the stretch goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. So, but, um, but yeah, so I think that social stretch goals should have equivalent to, um, I'll say small. And then the way I did it was I had kind of two very small goals and then a small to medium goal that would be like, uh, you know, a hundred shares, 300 shares and 500 shares, you know, um, you would get, uh, uh, you would unlock something at each of those. And, and when you look at the entire stretch goal, 
or the entire social stretch goal and you unlock, let's say four cards, that's a meaningful increase or a meaningful addition to the game. So I definitely, the carrot on the stick needs to be interesting enough to chase after, but you don't want to ruin yourself and be like, we'll upgrade the metal coins if you, you know, share a hundred times, unless you were planning on doing that. And if I factor like that into coins. your cost, it's going to be expensive. So, yeah. I think this is where you have greater freedom if you don't have a physical product and you're able to just digitally add content where it doesn't come out of your pocket too much where basically you create one thing and then you just replicate it to all, all the backers. So this can be done in video games. And with that being said, I think the video games and maybe some digital assets actually provide some unique opportunities for stretch goals and social stretch goals. So when we marketed Fracture Veil, which is an MMORPG video game, we incorporated something near the end of the campaign, which I really wish we had done sooner, but we kind of just like, oh, this might be a good idea to do, where we had basically pledge boosting and the idea was that we had uh, a threshold on the number of backers. So once we reached a certain threshold of backers, we would then uh, do a random draw of everyone who backed and would randomly upgrade the pledge of a person to the, to the next tier. And what this did is that it created a, a motivation for people to tell friends about the game, get, get their friends to back, because once that threshold was met, it meant that they possibly could be selected and get their pledge upgraded. What it also did for those who had backed and encouraged them to pledge to, to the highest tier that they could afford. So if they did get selected, they could actually be bumped up to the next tier. That's something that probably could be played with, could be experimented with. Obviously it needs to make sense within your pricing model that you know, you're, you have to work out, do the math so that you're not losing money on it. But that might be a really great way to get backers to spread the word and then to to make sure that they're, they've pledged because... You, especially if you have a big gap from like the deluxe edition to like the all-in edition. It's like, well, this is going to be, if I if I get this, if I win this, then this is going to be super cool and I'm going to have like this all this extra content. It's going to be great. So I think there's, there's room for things like that. On that same uh, line of thought, uh, let's say you've already, uh, you've maxed out what you put in your game box or whatever. You can't put that extra neoprene mat or whatever. Um, and you already have your manufacturer quote. Another great thing, and I think I've seen some of our clients do it, but I'm not quite sure. For example, let's say you you could do a stretch goal that has like maybe extra campaigns and it's sent as a PDF or things like that. Or you can make cards and put them on a PDF and people can print them at home and do it. I think some of our clients have done that, but I'm not quite sure. Andrew, I don't know if you can put a, put a spotlight on that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can recollect certain campaigns that have done that. Uh, but I'll say that, you know, Gloomhaven is probably the one that comes to mind first where they have PDF adventures done by people that are, you know, we'll say either famous in the industry uh, for one reason or another, maybe they're comic book artists, or maybe they're just big fans of the game. You know, those, those people, I promise you have already been working on those campaigns or already committed to working on those campaigns, but it it's, I think it's a great idea that should be explored a little bit more. It's something that I think, you know, you would be able to, um, it's, it's a whole lot easier, I guess, to get a, like, let's say a mission or a series of missions printed off the computer because you can print them or you can set them up for an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and just print the thing. And then it's done, you know, with a, a staple or something. That's a lot easier than asking people to print out even something as simple as like a sheet of cards where they'll, they have to cut it up. Um, there, there is a total group that loves to uh, print and play games and they'll make print and play editions almost as awesome as the actual physical edition. Uh, a lot of people, you know, for the most part, you know, people will get a print and play edition or digital rewards and they'll, they may or may not actually even open them up. It's definitely a nice thing to give and something that there, where there's a lot of perceived value. Another great thing about social stretch goals, especially if you're um, some, some of you, some of you out there have been working on your game for many, many, many years and might have like a little bit of a burnout and you may have like something like you haven't finished yet in your, in your, in your game, like maybe a campaign or maybe you need a couple more character cards or, or something in your game. What's great about a social stretch goal is you can also like make it like like sort of like like uh, Sean was saying like a game, but it benefits your product. For example, you could say, "Oh, uh, we're 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 gonna do, we're gonna do a social stretch goal where um, if if X many people post a campaign idea on social media, 
I'll pick one of them, the best one, and put it in the game. So you can actually use your social media to help build your game while you're while you're funding for your game at the same time. And now there's silence. <laughs> <laughs> what are you thinking about, Sean? I'm thinking of these, I can't remember the names, but you know, like Pokemon Go and there was another one before Pokemon Go. They're basically Geo type games. Yeah. Virtu- virtual yes. Geo, whatever. Yeah, it's, it's the one that Google put together that, that was... That spies uh, on you. Yeah. They all Pokemon do. Go definitely doesn't spy on you. I'm trying to think about how, because that's a very social thing, right? It's like it has like you have different ingress like, in, in the real world. Ingress, that's it. Yeah, so ingress had these different factions, and you know, you people were were, were rewarded for going to certain places and capturing bases and getting points, mm-hmm. and it was sort of like the social thing as like mm-hmm. people working together to achieve things. And I think that's really the key to to social stress goals is getting the community to work together in some capacity to achieve something. So some almost like a community achievement. And I think that's where you're going to really kind of get everyone united. And like, you need to focus them on like a single goal and mm-hmm. uh, keep it thematically relevant to your game. I think that's, those are the keys. And I, no, I, right. I'd say, keep them simple. I'd, I'd rather see like three really good, like well thought out stretch goal, uh, community, like mm-hmm. community um, social goals than like a bunch of poorly thought out ones i i, I almost want to like avoid the you know get get our facebook page do a thousand likes and subscribe to our youtube channel and because <laughs> all those mm-hmm. metrics are in a sense really meaningless unless people are actually engaged with your content right i think that's that's probably you know if i were to boil down where people go wrong with stretch goals that would be it where they try to increase their metrics on their various channels and they get the metrics they're looking for so that, you know, and people get what it is that they, they want, but it doesn't actually result in any, you know, being any further ahead than, than you were before. It's just, it, it's like a numbers game. It's uh it's not something that is. In fact, very... it can look worse because you've got a YouTube channel that has like thousands of subscribers and you're getting 20 views a video. It's just, it just looks bad. <laughs> I was yeah. just going to say, there's a lot of bots out there that'll do that. <laughs> I mean, what's the point? <laughs> I got a million subscribers, but three views. Yeah. Uh, You know, one thing I thought was really cool, the Skyrim campaign that we worked on, you know, on GameFound, they, uh, Modifius did this thing where they had a bunch of lock picks. um, And I, I'll have to find their. I I was trying to find it. I I think they've taken it down. I can't see it on the page anymore, but yeah, I was on, I was also thinking of that, but I couldn't, I couldn't find it. Oh, I found it actually. It's uh, you have to actually click their final stretch goals button. It's um, uh, it actually pulls up stretch goals, and he scrolled all the way down, and uh, and you find them. But they give you uh, lock picks. Any any lock picks that you that you pick, you're able to choose a stretch goal that you unlock. You know, there you know it takes four lock picks to unlock a a new stretch goal. So you can either have the battle mat upgraded so that it was printed on the back of the neoprene mat. You can. I don't know, get a, you know, there's a call to arms dice set that that's an add on or, you know, other, other elements like that. There are upgrades to various components of the, of the game. And I think that that's a pretty cool way to, it was a really interactive process where not only did the community get to unlock stretch, you know, lock boxes they had, or, you know, they, they had a, or they would gain lock picks that they could use to unlock lock boxes with rewards, but they could also choose which reward was unlocked. And it would be, you know, if you unlocked the PDF, you know, adventurers primer, then you could then advance to the next, you know, stretch goal on, you know, social stretch goal on that, that path, if that makes sense. So, and also it's, it's thematically relevant to the game Skyrim. So anyone who's played the game will understand being able to lockpick and trying to you know, use those two things. And that's, I always, I'm really bad at it, but you don't have, <laughs> the point is you don't have to explain what that means is as soon as people see lockpick, they understand what, what, what it's about. I think that's key is trying to keep it thematically relevant to your game. Yep. Nothing more annoying than running out of lockpicks in Skyrim is that it's like shaking and it just breaks like, oh. <laughs> I would say only if you guys suck at it. I mean, I, I, I always mastered it. my lockpicking skill and it was pretty easy. Um, in fact, they, they, it seems like in the newer ones, they've sort of dumbed it down a little more. I think it's uh, like a conscience, <laughs> like this is wrong. I should be stealing. 
that's why I'm bad at this. Right. Always the lawful good. So when it comes to making these social stretch goals, is there like a formula or a sweet spot? Like, you know, based on how many backers you already have to make these goals, it's like, oh, um, the, the goal is one person likes my page or, you know, or a million people have to like the page. I mean, like, is there some kind of like middle row? I mean, because every game is going to be different. Yeah. Every game is going to have different funding, different sizes, different amount of backers. Is there some kind of formula or situation or how would you gauge like what would be like, a you know, how would you gauge a good goal that's that would be attainable uh, for your backers? They have that the acronym SMART, Specific measurable, achievable, relevant, and uh, to timely, I think. Yes. Has to but have yes. So if it's, if it's achievable, I, that's a really important thing. So um, the second mistake that I see people making on a regular basis is they make goals that are not achievable and stretch goals are really a moving target. So you should not, this is the manifestation of that problem is that they list all their goals up front, like on day one, it's like stretch goal, all social stretch goals are out there. You know, if we get a hundred shares on this particular post or whatever, well, if you're getting no engagement, if you have like three comments on your, on your campaign and you asked for a hundred shares, then you're probably not going to earn that stretch goal. And it's going to reflect poorly on you. So look at the amount of engagement that you're getting and then base your social stretch goals on that. Or maybe in the case of um, campaigns that are, just don't really have much traction, maybe choose not to do social stretch goals. So I know this is tangenting off of your initial question, but right into the, the third mistake that I see people making all the time is they, they don't get their community excited for the actual Kickstarter. They're just like, hey, show up on day one. That's what I need you for. And they do. And then they kind of go to sleep. Uh, waiting for the game to be delivered, right? So this is very common when you build your audience through conventions, you know, and you don't really have a solid digital marketing strategy, that virtuous cycle, you haven't filled up your various groups, you have an email list, but you don't really have like any social communities like a Facebook group, or a discord server that, that have engagement. Um, I think that your engagement of your audience beforehand will lead to a successful stretch goal campaign during the live campaign. And kind of to address the question that you asked, like what are realistic numbers? I personally set, I split my stretch goal or I would split social stretch goals into, you know, I would decide what they were. Let's say, we'll just say like board game geek followers for your game. You know, maybe if I had, you know, I would look and say, okay, I have 25 board game geek followers right now. Let's bring that to... 75. And, um, you know, that's, that's not that high. I think that, you know, we could probably, if you needed to, th this is the, the, the point is that if you needed to, if, if you got very little traction on that, you could spend the mid campaign slump hustling to get people to like that board game geek page. And you could achieve that goal. It would be 50 people. It's not insanely hard, but it's, it's, it's going to take a little bit of work. If, you know, you, you launch that stretch goal and then it goes to 150, you know, and you just blow right past the 75. That's great. And, you know, you unlock that 75 and then the next, you know, segment of that goal, let's say that would earn some sort of, uh, you know, additional reward for the campaign. Maybe it's going to be 250 now, you know, because you had a hundred and, you know, you went up 125 pretty darn quickly you know that you could get 125 more, right? So I think that part of the formula for success for a social stretch goal is in giving goals that are challenging and yet achievable. So if that makes sense, you, you just don't want to find yourself in a hopeless situation because your game wasn't as well received as you had hoped it would be. Um, I think that you're, you know, that that's really where I would start. I would definitely err on the side of being too easy rather than too difficult to achieve. So we, in our crowdfunding notes community, we had one question that was really good. There were, there were a number of questions people had on social stretch goals there. And one of them was, how do you decide what should be a social stretch goal versus a monetary one? And the, the little bit of advice that I have there is make sure that, you know, any, so any, um, we'll say component upgrade from a manufacturing perspective 
any component upgrade that you make that costs 10 cents or less you is total ga fair game for a social stretch goal if something would be like 80 cents or you know 75 cents or more that to me is like you know like a dual layered player board or a uh, metal coin or you know something like that those things don't make sense as social stretch goals i see the actual cost of items as a uh, very relevant for social stretch goals if you unlock an entire character or something through social stretch goals you know you should probably make sure that you factor that into the actual cost before you get going you should expect that you will have that unlocked and you should be pre already prepared for for that increase in cost there's no sense in losing out on you know five bucks a game you know just because you wanted to unlock a stretch goal you know you you need to be um, financially sensible, I guess, about your decisions. So here's a good suggestion by Eric Geller. Shout out from Creston Cannons. He says that something that they implemented in their campaign was that they had a stretch goal for when all the stretch goals were unlocked. So it's kind of like a bonus to like encourage everyone to do all the stretch goals. They had kind of like this king stretch goal that once you do all the stretch goals, this stretch goal was unlocked. So I think mm -hmm. that's a cool idea. It kind of motivates everyone to stick with the the project and to make sure that they're all unlocked and then you give them like this big finale i think that's a, that's a good suggestion to implement definitely and it, it's kind of some in, an insurance policy if you've got fans it's an insurance policy against one particular stretch goal being annoying you'll get your fans kind of pushing to get that one accomplished in order to get the big thing so. it's like it's like you got you got to eat your broccoli before you can have that cake <laughs> eat broccoli cake yeah broccoli cake and that's all the time we have for this week's episode of crowdfunding nerds if this uh, was a great episode and you want to listen to other episodes visit visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com and if you have a burning question or want to get more involved in our little uh kickstarter uh marketing community visit us on facebook at crowdfunding nerds community and sign up um and i think it asks you a couple of questions and then you're in the door with our hundreds of other mega kickstarter fans and there's some really great conversations going on there and of course as always uh like us on your favorite podcast player or radio player i think we're on quite we're on everything now these days i mean we're on i mean apple google audible you can find us on amazon.com <laughs> I would test that. Yeah, yeah. Do do a search on Amazon.com for crowdfunders. We'll come right up. Whoa. Only because they own Audible. Shh, don't tell anybody. And that's it. Uh, that's all I got to say. So for those of you out there, that's uh, true. It is true. Why would I lie? Come on. <laughs> I may be a marketer, but I'm a a white hat marketer so have a very safe week stay cool stay trendy and stay nerdy.